Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. We're glad that you guys are here this morning. I'm Pastor Bucky, and welcome to Watermark Church. Uh, we're excited. I'm excited to be here. Uh, saw some old friends this morning, waving hi to some guys who have been around a long time, and welcome, and I met some new friends, and so welcome if you're here for the first time. We're just excited that you're here and hanging out with us today. It's a busy place, a lot going on in Orange County, that you took the time to come and sit and worship Jesus and listen to his word and ask questions about what, God, what are you doing in my world? What are you doing in our world? This is a, this is a beautiful thing, so it, uh, it encourages me, and so thanks for coming to church. Uh, it's a blessing to be in worship with you guys today, and we're excited uh, for the series we're in in the book of Daniel. Um, I'm excited that the air conditioning is on. Has everybody excited about that? So we're comfortable. I'm excited. I just got back from a, a vacation in the Colorado mountains, and it's always awesome to get away, and hopefully you're going to get some time this summer to get away with family or friends or take a little break and there's nothing like going to the mountains for me because man it just fills me up and really the, I'm a mountain biker so to go to the Colorado Rockies I mean you're talking about some big mountains right I mean I, I ride hills in Orange County but when I go to Colorado I ride mountains and so these, these, these are big big things and so I start at sea level here in Orange County at Colorado I start at 9,000 9,000, and I, I go up to 11 or 12,000. I mean, that is a big climb. And, you know, I go there to conquer the mountain, and you know what? Inevitably, the mountain always conquers me. <laughs> uh, the mountain doesn't lie, you know, and I, I can remember just even again this time, just saddling up and heading up that mountain for the first time, and at 9,000 feet, you're not acclimated, and it's very humbling. Especially for somebody that mountain bikes all the time like me. To go to 9,000 and try to climb, it's humbling. And you have to get off your bike. Mountain bikers don't want to get off their bikes. <laughs> they want to ride their bikes. And so I'm chugging and I'm, I'm tired. Of, and all of a sudden this mountain biker chick just shoots right by me. You must live in Colorado. There's no way you're from California. And this gal just poo goes right by me. I'm going, oh man, I have to, I have to acclimate. I have to get off. I have to learn again. The beautiful gift that God always wants to teach me about when I go on vacation. Because I go to a church, a little church in Colorado, and I sit in a pew and nobody knows I'm a pastor. Nobody knows I know anything about church. Nobody cares that I know anything about church. And I get to be in there, and I get to be a parishioner. I get to be one of you guys. And I get to sit, and I get to worship. And it is so, such a blessing to take off the garb, to take off the performance, whatever it is, and to sit there and remember I'm a child of God, uh, to, 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 to remember that God sent his son to die for me, and that I'm in that seat because he loves me and he chose me, uh, to just fill up. And it's this beautiful gift that a vacation gives us the opportunity if we want to take advantage of it. It's the gift of humility. I, 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 when I was young, I didn't think humility was a gift. <laughs> Who wants humility, man? I want to climb the mountains. I want to power. I want money. I want success. I want to chase the dragons, meet them. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to embrace, even though I still struggle at times, when God sets me aside 
and teaches me that beautiful lesson, Bucky, you're not God. You're not in control of this gig. This is about me. And I've invited you into my story. This is not about your story. I've invited you into my story. And you get to be a part of something beautiful and wonderful as my child. And I get to sit and I get to learn again uh, that beautiful, beautiful gift and embrace that gift. And you know, as we're in the book of Daniel, we're asking some great questions about this book, why it was written, and about Daniel and his life. Because Daniel is encouraging us uh, through his journey and how God used him and how he wrote this book. Daniel is teaching us about standing strong and about shining bright even when our culture is not standing strong with us. Even if our government is not standing strong with us. Even if the institutions of our world are not standing strong with us. Even if our community is not standing strong with us. Or maybe our friends at school. Or our peer group. Maybe they're not standing strong with us. But Daniel was a man that stood strong in a very dark time in Israel's history. They were taken into captivity out of their homeland into a foreign land. And Daniel was a guy that stood strong and he shined bright. And he answers this question to us because many of us are feeling this in our culture today. There's, a, there's sort of a divide between what we traditionally thought was a Christian nation and now it's a post-Christian nation. What we traditionally thought was a culture that would affirm our faith, and it's not so much affirming to our faith anymore. And so we're wrestling, and how do we find our way? Daniel is a great book that says, here's how you find your way, right? Here's how you live a life of belief in an unbelieving world. And many times we go to our workplaces and we feel like there's not a, belief, a lot of belief there. Or many times we go to our college or high school campuses, there's not a belief there. Or we go to the soccer field, there's not a lot of belief there. Or, or wherever we go in our culture, a concert, there's not a lot of belief there. How do I live a life of belief and faith in an unbelieving world? And Daniel is a guy that's a model for that for us. Because Daniel, one day, you know, his world was changed and he realized, you know what, we're not in Kansas anymore, right? Daniel, you're not in Kansas anymore. You've been taken out of your homeland. You know, they're, 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 the institutions, the, 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 the faith institutions that affirmed your belief, they're not there anymore. The government that was supposed to protect you and serve you, that's not there anymore. The priests that were pointing you to God, they're not there anymore. Uh, the family that affirmed your faith and supported you, that's not there anymore. And so how do you deal with that? And let's look at what happens to Daniel in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. It's about 600 B.C. that Nebuchadnezzar, who's the greatest king in charge of the greatest kingdom at that time, the kingdom of Babylon, he decides to besiege Jerusalem. And so he sweeps down with his army. And you know what? When Nebuchadnezzar came and knocked at your door, you didn't have much time left. You know, It was only a matter of time until he took you out because he was the most powerful dominant king with the most brilliant army at that time. And so Nebuchadnezzar came down and besieged Judah and Jerusalem, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off uh, to the temple of his God in Babylon, and he put in the treasure house of his God. Uh, then the king ordered 
uh, Asphanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, the most elite, the most talented Israelite, the upper echelon of Israelite community, right? The wealthy, the, the successful, the gifted people. They brought them over, and he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. You see, this was Nebuchadnezzar's strategy. Uh, he didn't just crush a kingdom and kill all the people like many people did in the ancient world, but he had a kingdom-building strategy. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take these elite people that are gifted, and I'm going to take them to Babylon, and I'm going to Babylonize, Babylonize them? <laughs> I'm going to immerse them in the culture, the literature, the religion, and the thinking of the Babylonians. And as they are transformed, I'm going to send them out, and they're going to become my ambassadors. They're going to help me rule over my expanding kingdom. And so this was a great strategy for him because it gave him security in the nations he conquered because who was ruling over the nations he conquered? Just retrained people sending back to their own nation, right? And, 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 and how, how did he gain that security? By Babylonizing those people. And also what it did was it gave him a great growing labor pool, right? He need, needed laborers to fund his government that was expanding, and so he retrained these people and sent them out to work for his government. And it was working well for him. And this obviously was a great shock to Daniel and his friends, who were Jewish to the core, who had read the scriptures and learned about this covenant God and his promises. They were a part of God's chosen people. And all of a sudden, God's chosen people were taken from their homeland. Their temple was, was ravaged, and their government was decimated, and all of a sudden, they were in captivity. And what did this mean for his faith? Where is God? Why is he doing this? This was obviously a culture shock to Daniel and his friends. And many times, we hit the culture, and we think it's Christian, and it's not. And we go through a culture shock right? What does this mean? Where is God? How do I survive? I raised my kids at a school called Mariner's Christian School. It is a Christian bubble of beauty and wonder. All the families believe the same thing, right? We all sing kumbaya when we go in and we go out, right? There's a chapel every day. Every teacher believes in Jesus and is there to bless the kids. It is this wonderful, beautiful bubble of common values, common culture, common core. And then after eighth grade, you take these beautiful, wonderful young Christian kids and you put them in a secular high school and they walk on that campus and it is a culture shock. We are not in Kansas anymore. Because guess what? There's teachers there that many of them that don't have faith and don't believe what you believe in. Really, they're not there to teach them about Christianity. They're to teach them about man's ideas and man's world, right? And there's students that have various values and systems. And there's seniors that are sweeping down on your freshman girl saying, boy, I'd like to date that girl. And you know what? They're not looking at, they don't look at my daughter the same way I'm looking at my daughter. I'm going to get a shotgun, right? What is going on here? And there's parents that are partying with the kids and opening up bars and serving drinks to the kids in high school and partying, partying with them. What is going on? This is crazy. What's happening to our world? How do we survive this? How do we deal with it? Daniel is a great book. Because Daniel was taken out of a God-centered culture, a one-God culture, a one-God city, one temple, one book, one system, a government there to support that system, and taken into a culture of many gods. Polytheism. Radically different. Different values and beliefs. 
and he hit culture shock, a different language, a different way of thinking, and he had to learn to deal with that. But why didn't Daniel lose his faith, right? Why didn't he just say, where is my God? He must not exist anymore. He's been taken captive into the temple. Why didn't he lose his faith? Because Daniel understood this was all a part of God's sovereign plan. Daniel was a man of the scriptures. He was listening to God, and he understood that this captivity was actually a part of God's plan. And so because Daniel understood that, he was open to the gift that God wanted to give him. How do you survive in Babylon? How do you thrive in Babylon? How do you deal with Babylon? How do we deal with a post-Christian culture? How do we keep our faith in a faithless world, right? It's by receiving the gift that nobody wants, right? Who wants this gift? But everybody needs this gift. That's the gift that Daniel embraced. Here is a, a message from the prophet Jeremiah who was ministering at this time to, the, to those that had gone into captivity, the Israelites. And he spoke a message in his book to the people that had gone into captivity. And he says, here's how you survive in Babylon. Here's how you thrive in Babylon, right? Many times we as Christians, we take a condemning view towards the culture. We stand in judgment and say, these people, they deserve to go to hell. We stand in judgment, we stand as holier than thou, we stand and we look down on the culture. And there were a lot of Jews that were taken to Babylon, that were were settled on the Kibar River, and they were judging the Babylonians. God's going to get them, God's going to take them out, and we're going back as soon as we can. And Jeremiah said, no, no, no. You don't get it right, dude. That's not why you're here. You're not here to judge the Babylonians. Well, some people say, well, let's just conform to the Babylonians. Let's become Babylonians. When in Babylon, you do like the Babylonians do, right? Well, you're in Vegas. You do what happens in Vegas. It always stay. Let's just conform to the culture. Hey, my kids in high school, they're going to experiment. They're going to have their fun. Boys will be boys. They'll get over it one day. I see a lot of Christian parents just turn their back, let their kids do whatever they want to in high school. They're not really concerned about it. It's just a season. I went through it. They'll get through it. It'll be fine, right? So conform to the culture, stand in condemnation to the culture. That's not the way that God spoke to his people and said, Daniel, this is how you're going to survive and thrive in Babylon. Here's what he says. These are the words of the letter of Jeremiah, the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. It is said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I am sent in the exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Uh, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, live Settle down, multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city. What? That godless place called Babylon? Seek the welfare of that godless place? Seek the welfare of Las Vegas? Are you kidding me? Seek the welfare of Costa Mesa? Seek the welfare of, of those godless heathens that are partying next door and leaving bottles of beer? You know how many bottles of beer I pick up outside of the church every Sunday morning when I go across that street there? You you know how much junk is thrown out there by the people that party and do drug deals out there every week? And you know what's over there? Not because of me, because a man in our church said, Bucky, you know what? Let's put trash cans over there. 
Let's not sit in judgment as a church to the, that unfunded part of the city and those drug dealers and all those people. Let's put trash cans and let's go out and serve those people. We don't, we're not going to condemn them, we're not gonna, but we're going to serve them. That's exactly what the message was to the Jews in exile. Settle down and live and bless the city and serve the city. And in blessing the city and humbly serving the city, you will find life. Do not condemn Babylon. Do not conform to Babylon. Instead, choose to serve Babylon so that you might be blessed. It rings true that somebody else said that. To a group of Jews that were uh, enslaved by Roman rule, they were overtaxed, they were burdened, and they wanted to rebel, right? They wanted to get away from the Roman rule. And this guy named Jesus said, guess what? You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Pray for your enemies. Serve your enemies. Be salt and light, right? Don't conform. You're salt, right? But don't condemn because you're light. And in so serving and loving your neighbor in the city, you'll point them to God. You'll have a chance to redeem the culture. This is the message that Daniel carries. This is the message that Daniel lives. Because Daniel has the gift. Nobody wants what everybody needs, right? What is the gift that nobody wants? What is the gift that everybody needs? Daniel humbly serves the king. Daniel is taken into Nebuchadnezzar's court and he serves the king. The king that destroyed his temple, the king that probably killed some of his friends, the king that took him into captivity, he humbly serves the king and he embraces his calling to bless and give welfare to the city. Daniel chapter 4 is a unique part of the book if you read it because Daniel's not writing his story anymore. All of a sudden, the greatest king in charge of the greatest nation puts his own story in the middle of this book and says, this is what happened to me. Nebuchadnezzar himself shares his own grace testimony about how God intervened in his life through this prophet Daniel who served this godless king and showed him who the true God was. Because he didn't conform and he didn't condemn, he served King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and the peoples of every language who live on the earth, may you prosper greatly, right? It is my pleasure, right, to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This is a godless king, a king who is polytheistic, a king who conquered the king of Israel, right, the God of Israel, and put him in shackles, now is giving praise to the God of Israel. How does this happen? Because God brought Daniel as a humble servant into his courts, and God began to work in his life through dreams. And how did he interpret the dreams? How did he understand the dreams? Daniel was there to serve him and bless him. And this is what happens. Nebuchadnezzar has another one of his dreams. If you've read the book of Daniel, if you've listened to Judith and Ben, they've talked about some great... King Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great dreams, right? He dreamed of a huge statue, right? Made of all different kinds of precious stones. The head of that was gold. That was his kingdom, right? He actually built a huge statue out on the plains, and he had everybody come out and worship that statue and called them to fall. It was a 90-foot golden thing, man. This guy was a big dude. He had big dreams. And in Daniel 4, he has another big dream about a huge tree. 
And he sees this tree growing. It's beautiful and wondrous. Do you guys like trees? I mean, when I go to Colorado, one of the things I love to do when I ride my mountain bike is look at the amazing trees that are on the mountains, these tall, incredible, beautiful trees, right? And it's just a gift of beauty to see how vast and wonderful these trees are. And Nebuchadnezzar sees a huge, vast, wonderful tree. He says, I'm at home in my palace, content and prosperous. Things are going great. I'm conquering kingdoms. I'm building things. I'm the man. It's all going on. And then I have this dream. Here's the vision I saw while lying on my bed. There stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. This thing is vast and huge. Its leaves were beautiful, it's aesthetically pleasing to the eye, it's fruit abundant, it's feeding and providing for people, and gives food to all. Under, the, under it, the wild animals found shelter and shade. Isn't it great to stand in the shade of a tree in this hot weather, 80, 90 degrees, and have a, a tree just cover you in that? It's awesome. And the birds are there, from it every creature was fed. It's a beautiful vision, and all of a sudden, it turns to turmoil, because what happens? Somebody says, hey, cut the tree down. (laughs) What? Yeah, the vision goes on. I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut the tree down, trim its branches, strip its leaves, scatter its fruit, and leave it as a stump with just roots, bound with iron and bronze remaining in the ground. And now it switches from a tree to a person. This isn't just about a tree. It's not just the metaphor of a tree. It's talking about a person. Let him, not just it, let him be drenched in the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and given the mind of an animal till seven times pass for him so that the living may know, the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms. He gives them to whoever he wishes, right? And sets them over even the lowliest of people. Wow, what does the dream mean? It's troubling for Nebuchadnezzar. He hears this word. Who can interpret this dream? A humble servant, right? Someone who's willing and help this king. Daniel, right? Daniel's been that man. He's built the trust of Nebuchadnezzar. He's worked in his court. He serves him well. He hasn't condemned him, but he hasn't conformed and worshipped his gods. And he calls on Daniel, who's now the head of all these wise men. And Daniel comes and interprets the dream. And Daniel is startled when he hears the dream. You know why? Because he knows it's about Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to have to deliver a hard message to Nebuchadnezzar, right? But the amazing thing, because Daniel has served Nebuchadnezzar and served the city, he's fallen in love with the people of the city. You know, it's so easy for me to sit in judgment of somebody who's across the street, who's different than me, who lives a different lifestyle, who has different values. It's so easy for me to sit in judgment and judge their motives. But when I go over and start to serve them, and I spend time with them, and I ask them questions, I find out they're not much different than me. They're human beings, they have needs and wants, they have heart's desires, they may have children, they may have jobs, they may have challenges that I didn't even know about. When I go over and start to serve someone and listen to someone, all of a sudden I begin to fall in love with that person. I begin to care for that person. 
Daniel, this godless king, right? He could have sat in judgment and just continued to judge and curse. But because he stepped in and served Nebuchadnezzar, he found out about his heart. He found out about who he was. He knew his story. He knew his hurts. He knew his wants. He was a human being. And Daniel began to respect and honor him and love him. And look at the first words out of his mouth. My Lord, if only a dream, this dream applied to your enemies. Wow. Is that love? Is that humility? Is that caring for somebody? You know, even your enemy who's hurt some of the people that you love. If only this dream was about somebody else and not about you. Uh, but he doesn't hold back. He speaks the truth in love. But the posture is humble, loving service. I'm not delivering this message because I want to condemn you. I'm delivering this message because I want to serve you. You want to talk about how to survive in Babylon? Is that the posture in your workplace? Is it the posture towards your neighbor that may be Muslim or maybe Jewish or maybe uh, godless and doesn't believe what you believe? Is that the posture to the family that has different values than you? Is it the posture to those that you go to the school and that do different things and maybe you don't agree with them, but is that the posture? One of the ways that my daughters survived in Babylon was instead of condemning their friends for drinking and doing drugs, instead of walking away from their friends from drinking and doing drugs, they became designated drivers. They went to the parties of the school and they became the designated drivers and they drove their friends who were drunk and could have killed themselves. They drove them home. And, and my daughters, even to this day, still have that posture with some of their friends. Uh, the, the friends that are out of control and that need somebody to serve them. And in so doing, they've had a chance to share God with those people. You know, that's a different posture and it, it involves surrender it involves sacrifice it involves pain sometimes you're laughed out sometimes you're marginalized but it opens the door for you to be able to serve somebody that does not know god and this is daniel's opportunity this is daniel's purpose this is your purpose why has god kept us here in what many times feels like a culture that's going farther and farther away from our beliefs and values right what if there's a democrat next to you and you're a republican what are you going to do you're going to throw rocks and judge that dude? What if you're a Democrat and a liberal and you hate those conservatives? What? Look at the divide in our country. Look at the hatred. Who's going to build the bridge? It's going to be those that have a Daniel spirit, that believe in the sovereignty of God, that God placed us here for a purpose, and that's service and love. Right? And Daniel has this great opportunity to speak the truth to Nebuchadnezzar. My Lord, if the dream only applied to your enemies... The dream you saw, which is this large and strong and beautiful, your majesty, you're the tree, right? You're powerful and successful. This first part of this vision is not judgment. It's a beautiful tree. You have built something beautiful. You know, Babylon was one of the wonders of the world. You know, the architecture was astounding. The streets, the walls, everything about it was architectural beauty. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the advancement of the day was in Babylon. It wasn't in Israel. The advancement in medicine was in Babylon. The advancement in architecture was in Babylon. A lot of the advancement in the wisdom was in Babylon. We're not supposed to judge the good things about a culture. There's a lot of great stuff out there that we can learn from people that don't know God because God put that wisdom out there for people to discover. The culture's not all bad. There are good parts to the culture. 
There are good things that you've done, Nebuchadnezzar. You built some amazing things. There's just one thing that's messed up, right? And so we're not just here to blanketly throw it away. We're here to see where it needs redeemed and to love and serve and redeem it. Your majesty, you're a tree, you've become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends. It's amazing, but there's one thing, right? All this stuff that you have comes from God. Your, your gifts and your talents and the fact that you've, you've, you've had this great kingdom and you've won battles, it all comes from God and you fail to give him the glory that he deserves. You take the place of God. You think you are God. And that's the one thing you lack. Your pride has blinded you from seeing the true God. And so because of that, God is going to offer you the great gift that nobody wants, but everybody needs. Right? Does the CEO who's just hitting it out of the park, does the doctor who's doing these great surgeries and actually changing the world with his surgical prowess, you know, does, does the, the great educational order that knows everything about science and education is teaching all these students of philosophy, what does he need? He has the one thing he needs is humility so we can recognize who the true God is. You will be driven away from your people and you'll live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox, drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times, seven years will pass by. Your kingdom will be restored. This is not about destroying you. It's about cutting you down so you can recognize who God is and you can have this beautiful gift of humility. Uh, your kingdom will be restored, and when you acknowledge that heaven rules, therefore your majesty be pleased to. Here's my advice. Turn now. <laughs> Repent now, right? How many times have I heard that from wise people? Hey, learn now, because it's a lot harder when you go out there. It's good that your parents caught you, because guess what? When the police catch, they're not going to be as nice as your parents, right? Learn now. It's good that you got caught now. Here's the opportunity. Turn now, so you don't have to face the reality of your decisions, right? This is Daniel's advice. Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right your wickedness by being kind and depressed. How did he build his kingdom? It was beautiful, it was vast, it was amazing, the city, but how did he build it? He built it out of unrighteous oppression of others. He oppressed the poor. He overtaxed his people. He was selfish and it was all about him, right? How many people in Orange County are living this life? The greatest place, the richest place, the most wonderful place, how many people in Orange County need the gift of humility to recognize that comes from God? How will people show them that when a business person who's been very successful says, I'm going to lead from the back, guys. It's not about me in the front. I'm going to take young professionals. I'm going to serve them and bless them. And the reason why I'm doing this is because there's a God who came and served me. And that light stands out in that marketplace of money, power, and success. A doctor who loves other doctors and goes and serves those doctors, who's been through suffering himself and shows the humility to serve those doctors and teach them and serve them. And he has a voice because he speaks the language of Babylon, but his heart's not in Babylon. He is in the world and not of the world. A steel salesman who doesn't go out to cheat people and screw people in jobs and cheat and just gives much money, but he leaves money on the table and he blesses others and he takes ownership when he makes mistakes and he lives with integrity and he's a witness for the kingdom of God. That's how it happens in the world out there. A student 
who works hard and is successful, but then has a dream to do something that's bigger than themselves to serve others, right? This is the way we survive in Babylon, and he has offered that gift of humility. And unfortunately, he doesn't take it. And he goes on his ways, and thanks for the advice, Daniel, but I am too busy, and things are going great, and I'm going my way. I got it going on. And he suffers the consequences of his prideful decisions, right? To deny the true God, to walk away from the knowledge of God. The book of Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, culture takes us away from the knowledge of God. A godless culture takes us away from the knowledge of God. And when we fail to recognize that, we become darkened and depraved in our understanding. We think we're wise, we'll become fools, and we start to worship the creation rather than the creator. We worship money, power, success. We worship technology. We worship our cell phones. We worship our cars. And yet we fail to realize that all comes from the living God. And so God gives Nebuchadnezzar what he wants. He'll give us over to what we want. If we want a life without God, he's happy to give you that. And instead, what you get is wrath, right? What you get is a life without God, a dark and depraved understanding. You get enslaved to your own desires. Why is Orange County so wealthy and so prosperous, and yet it's full of addiction? It's full of anger. It's full of hopelessness and and pride, and it's empty at the core. Why? Because God's not there. And we think we got it all going on, and yet I see it over and over again in marriages and families that are chasing after that false dream, and it never fills their soul. And why are we here? Not to judge them, to serve them and to show them the true God. And this is what Daniel does to Nebuchadnezzar. And 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace, and he said, isn't this great Babylon I've built, right? By my mighty power and my glory, it's all about me. You know, every brick in Babylon had Nebuchadnezzar's name on it. Archaeologists have gone back and unearthed the bricks. All of them have his name on it. Every brick in that city, my name's going to be on these bricks. I mean, this is how big this guy's ego was. And it all falls down because the voice says, hey, now's the time. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat the grass of the ox. Seven times will pass by until you acknowledge that the Most High is God and sovereign over all kings of the earth and give, gives them to anyone he pleases. You are here, King, because God put you there. You have your wealth because God gave it to you. You have your success in your house because God gave it to you. You have every blessing, even the air that you breathe, because God gave it to you. And what is our response to worship and serve him, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar gets this beautiful gift. And at the end of seven years, he is restored and he gets it. It teaches him. He learns it. He becomes a wild animal, a wild beast. He goes out and lives. And I'm sure Daniel set it up to protect him. I'm sure Daniel told him this was going to happen. He's going to be crazy for a while, protect him, protect Because he should have been taken out. Somebody should have come in and pushed him aside and taken over his kingdom, and yet it wasn't. I bet you Daniel was a part of that protection, a part of preparing the people that this is what's going to happen. God said this, and protect him, and he'll come back. And this is what happens. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My sanity was restored, then I praised the Most High. 
I honored and glorified him. Now he's worshiping and praising God who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. Not my dominion, his dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Not my kingdom, his kingdom, right? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to the throne, became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt the glory of the King of Heaven because everything he does is right. Can you say that? Is, does everything that God does in your life right and good and pure? And look at what he ends with. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Have you ever prayed for the gift of humility? You know, I pray with a lot of people. I pray about a lot of things. But have you ever seen someone sit down and say, you know, I just want God to humble me? (laughs) Right? What a courageous prayer. And yet, what a beautiful prayer. Do you know humility is an attribute of God himself? He's the most humble person in the universe. You know why Jesus came to this planet, and as we prepare to end this service and come to the table, he came as a humble, God himself existed equal with God, but he didn't hold on to that. He emptied himself and became a servant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you might be made whole. I want to ask you to pray a courageous prayer this morning. As we've been doing at the end of every service, we put our hands up, but I'm gonna ask you to pray for the gift of humility. Lord, make me humble. Make me soft, make me teachable, make me open, because what the Bible says is that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? Humility is this attribute that allows us to receive God's grace and his mercy, to see that this table is a humble table for a humble king. And we want to become his humble servants. Here's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. The gift nobody wants, but the one that everybody needs. Therefore, if you have any encouragement at this table by being united with Christ, you've been united with Christ. You are one with him, right? You are in him, his death and resurrection. He is in you with the power of the Holy Spirit. If there's any comfort at this table of his love, if there's any common sharing with the Holy Spirit as you come to this table, he has made you whole. He's put his very spirit inside of you. And that spirit is a spirit of humility, right? Because that's who he is. Then make my joy complete by being like Jesus, like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition in your jobs with your money, with your power, with your success, Orange County. Don't do that out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility like Jesus, value others above yourself, right? Not looking out for just your own interests, but each of you look out for the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same humble mind as Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to pray that courageous prayer. Lord, make me a humble servant. Lord, take away my pride. Is there pride that's keeping you from loving and serving your wife today, forgiving her? Is there pride that's keeping you from loving and serving your husband today? Is there pride that's judging your children today instead of humbly serving them? Do you have pride towards your coworkers or your neighbors? 
Is there something that's keeping you back from being that humble servant? Ask God to remove that. Give that to him today and ask him to make you a humble servant of love because God gives grace, right, to the humble. He resists the proud. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of humility. I thank you that I fell on my mountain bike. What a humbling experience that was. It hurt, but it was good, Father. Remind me again that I'm not on control. Lord, I'm, I'm not God. And you remind me that this is not my church. It's not about me. I've, so many times I make watermark about me because I'm, I'm prideful and I'm selfish. So many times I make the culture about me. It's here to affirm me and make me successful. Oh, forgive me for my pride as a pastor at times, comparing and competing with other churches. Oh, God, forgive me. Looking down on the next generation sometimes because I think I'm better than and I have so much to learn from them. I thank you for these wonderful young people that are here in this church. Help me to be a humble servant. Help me to love them as you love them. Help me to love my wife and my neighbor and my friends. And everybody here this morning, God, I pray that you remove whatever barrier that keeps them from being your humble servant. That you'd heal them, you'd touch them, unite them with your love, heal them by your love. Make them safe and secure in your love through the power of your Holy Spirit so they can humbly serve others. We want to be a church that is about humble servant love. Help us to do that. Pray this in Jesus' name. We thank you for your body and blood now. We humbly receive your grace, your mercy, and your forgiveness. Heal us in your love. In Jesus' name. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.